Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to the Eyes on Isles podcast with Matt O'Leary and Mitch Anderson. Hello and welcome to the Eyes on Isles podcast, episode number 196. What's going on? I am Matt O'Leary with Mitch Anderson. Mitch, what's going on, buddy? Do you remember how like a week or two ago I was going like, oh, it's still cold here. Oh, Canada's cold. It is so hot. What happened? It was winter basically and now it's full on summer even though we're not summer yet. It's like 28 degrees here. I don't know what to do with myself. Yeah, it was a warm one here today as well. It got up into like the mid 80s, which is I feel like very rare for this time of year. And uh, I I don't know. I wanted to be when I was at work, I was upset because I wanted to be outside day drinking and having fun. But I could not do that because I had to have responsibilities and do my job. (laughs) Well, to be fair, I was at home all day and I still didn't do any day drinking and any fun. If anything, I lay down laminate floor like an old person. That doesn't sound like a good time. Well, it was fine. It's it's flooring, uh, but it, it is what it is. What well, what about you? Like, did you do anything else aside from like the responsibilities? Um, so I did get to go on my way into work. Wednesday's my work late day, so I went into work at around eleven, which means I had a little time this morning, and I was able to stop in at one of my favorite places on Long Island to get a bacon, egg, and cheese. And uh, that's rare for me because I'm I'm gluten free. But there's this awesome place in uh, Belmore called called Bare Naked Bakery where they have all gluten free stuff. And I haven't been there since the pandemic, which is what 15 months. So it's been a very long time. Uh, so I was super pumped to get back in there. That sounds great. Getting back to your old your old habits pre pandemic. That that's when you know it's almost over. Yes. Hopefully, knock on wood, that's the case. Yeah. So. We have, uh, before we get into it, we have a word from uh, sponsorship, don't we, Mitch? Right. This is your pubic service announcement. And the news you've all been waiting for, the Manscaped engineering team has confirmed that they have successfully created the Lawnmower 4.0 trimmer, which is now available for purchase in the USA and Canada. I said that loud because it's all in caps here. Uh, I just got my Manscaped 4.0. And like it, it tells me like some of the talking points is um, their advanced ceramic blade and skin safe technology is so good, and like the craftsmanship and detail in the 4.0 are next level. And they're right. Like when I when I pulled it out of the box, I was like, oh damn, this is this is sleek. Yeah. All right. I was gonna. I, s- I'm stoked. You took the words out of my mouth. I was gonna say it's a really sleek design to the new one. Yeah, and like the the feature. I know I said last time like the wait, can you play music from it, which is facetious, so like you know, not not honest, but. There's no charging port on it, right? So, like, you, you don't have any crevice for water to eventually get into. So now it's, although they, they did say 3.0 was fully waterproof, this one is obviously even more waterproof. Uh, and you can turn the light off. If you don't need that extra LED light shining up, you don't have to turn it on or turn. you can decide to turn it off as you're trimming. Great feature, great stuff. I love it already, and I've only had it for a day. Absolutely. So we got a promo code for them where they can get a discount. That is correct. So join over 2 million men worldwide, or women, my wife also uses it, who trust Manscaped with this exclusive offer for you, the listener. 20% off and free worldwide shipping with the code FANSIDED20 at manscaped.com. So that's FANSIDED20, F-A-N-S-I-D-E-D, 20 at manscaped.com for 20% off and free worldwide shipping. Get her done. Absolutely. And with that, we can start our show. 
And we have two games to talk about as the Islanders and the Penguins are underway. Game three, by the time you're listening to this, game three will be to today. Today. So That's correct. It'll be Thursday. It'll be Thursday. I don't know. My brain just shut off for a second. But <laughs> the two very different games, obviously, in game one, Islanders overtime win. In game two, not a lot of scoring. Islanders had a chance to, you know, get back in the game. Uh, we're, we're unable to. But I figure we kind of go storylines from the first game into storylines from the second game. And my biggest takeaway, are the co- a couple things we have to talk about. One, Kyle Palmieri coming to live at the perfect time. It couldn't come at a better time. You're absolutely right. Um, you know, it wasn't necessarily visible in game two, but who was um, for, for right reasons anyways. But um, yeah, no, this is exactly what we wanted to see. He's got two goals in, in two games, although both of them coming in game one. Uh, this is what we wanted when we picked him up. Ideally, we would have seen this Kyle Palmieri through the regular season. We did not. But as we know, when you play in a barrier trot system, if you do the right things, eventually the points will come. And sometimes that takes a bit. That seems to be the case with Kyle Palmieri. Yeah, right. And this is the version of Kyle Palmieri that they were trading for. And I know it it really, it stinks that he wasn't living up to the potential in the, what, 17 games I think they played in the the regular season with the Islanders. But all that kind of goes out the window when in game one you score, well, the first goal of the game and then the game winning goal in overtime. You could kind of put to bed that that 17 games that weren't so great in the regular season when you become a a playoff hero. Absolutely. It sucks that, like you said, he didn't perform in those 17 games, nor did Travis Zajac, who hasn't even been in the lineup right now. Um, They they, they haven't performed during the regular season because that could have helped them get home ice advantage, which could have been huge to start up the season or the the postseason, that is, playing at the Nassau Coliseum first rather than second. Uh, but now that we are here, we can't change the past. We can't go cherry pick little things. I'll get to that in a second or not in a second later on in the show. Um, you, you can't just go and, and pick like, well, if we had done this and keep, kept the rest, we would have been better. That's not how it works. That's not how time works. That's not how life works. Um, we It did not happen as we wanted in the regular season, but now it seems to be working. Uh, now we have the Kyle Par- Paul, ugh, my goodness, the Kyle Palmieri that we want. Um ideally he stays that same player i don't see why he wouldn't the fact that his like shooting uh, uh shooting percentage was so low with new jersey was not sustainable he was bound to regress up and we seem to be getting that now and and yeah that's just the thing with having kyle palmieri come to life at the perfect time at the start of the series like we kind of just said yeah it's not ideal that he wasn't the player you thought he was going to be in the regular season but now come the playoffs and on top of that like he's a streaky goal scorer so if he's going to have a quiet time and a hot time rather the quiet time be during the regular season and then the hot time be in the playoffs like I feel like you know Anthony Beauvillier is that kind of a player as well Jordan Eberle is very much so a player like that as well so if these guys start going at the right time which now the playoffs is the right time then maybe it it turns out to be okay yeah and and I think that's the best case scenario for us in this situation there it turns out to be okay i don't see this being um what's the word i'm looking for here a long-term solution for us as in like i don't think that he stays past the playoffs i i really i really don't think no. so uh it's not to say that i wouldn't want to keep him i just like the, the cost that it's going to take and the amount of moves that we're gonna have to make to try to maybe keep him unless like seattle comes in and decides they want to take jordan everlay which i don't i don't think they will um, there's just not a whole lot of room so but we are here we are in the playoffs he's playing well it's only been two games though so like are we maybe getting a little too caught up in two goals in one game you think mm, maybe a little bit but I, I I think he it's hard for me to say oh he was worth the trade just off that one game but I, I do think that he made it a lot more palatable with how he was able to perform in a big spot. So we'll see how it goes the rest of the way, whether they it's only this round or if they go beyond this round, what he ends up doing. And I'm hoping that he becomes, you know, the the, the goal scorer that we know he can be. I guess it's a wait and see game, but I, I'm with you. Maybe it is a little bit of overreaction and, and recency bias with just how good he was. But this is like... In game one specifically, too, 
it was the trade deadline guys who won that game in, in JG Pajot and Kyle Palmieri. So that's why Lou went out and got Palmieri and Pajot because what they do when it comes to playoff time. Yeah, and I think that's that's you're right with the recency bias thing. <clears throat> I'm sure that's carrying some weight. I think it's also just kind of almost a confirmation bias for us. Where we've been sitting and waiting for this guy to do what we were told he can do, right? What we were told his price dictated, and it's not just his, but like he was a big catch of that of that whole trade. Um, so moving a first for him, uh, we were hoping to get the guy that had scored twenty plus goals over a year. Uh, that's not what we got for the first 17. So like we were just waiting. Like He's going to play well sometime, right? We're, we're going to get that guy, right? And we got that flash for that one game going, he's here, baby! Right, like all of that like angst and that just like locked-in emotion was just unleashed. So m- maybe we're getting a little bit of ahead, ahead of ourselves. I hope not. I hope game three, he has a good game. Uh, I don't think he was particularly good in game two. He wasn't bad. His line was the best one out there. Uh, but that was a, a combination thing. It wasn't just a Kyle Palmieri thing. Um, but I, I hope game three is, is better for him and for everyone else, right? Like, it wasn't just on him or his line. Most of the team was poor in game two. Right, absolutely. And before we just, you know, get to some of the more storylines from just game two in the series overall, Ilya Sorokin's surprise start in game one, I think, was... Uh, storyline worth noting on because during the week in between where the Islanders finished the regular season and then started the playoffs, uh, Varlamov left the last regular season game with an injury and he practiced a little bit, but apparently wasn't good enough or Barry Trotz wasn't comfortable enough to go with him to start game one. Uh, So he went with Ilya Sorokin, which I I think was a little bit of a surprise based on practice the last couple of days leading up to game one. And everything Barry Trotz has said yeah. since that game, right? Like even that the, when he his post game press conference in the final game, he's like, "Oh, if it's a playoffs, he'd play. He'd play through it." And then everything throughout there, and we're not worried. We're, we're, he'll be there. He'll play. He'll play. He'll play. And then he does it. And you're like, "Buddy, you set us up to knock us down." And I don't really care for the goalie games. I don't. I don't get it. It's not like Mike Sullivan out there is going, like, what, Sorokin's playing? And he throws all his papers in the air, like, forget it. We have no idea what to do for this kid. No, they have a game plan they'll stick to. Whether it's Varlamov or Sorokin in it might change, like, where they shoot their puck. But, like, how do they get to those shooting lanes doesn't change. No, exactly. Yeah, it's either, okay, are we going up high? Are we going glove side, blocker side? What's the deal here? What are we doing? It's really not that big of a deal, so I don't I don't understand all the like. Oh well, we're gonna have a, <laughs> a Russian in that. <laughs> like, okay, cool. Like, we we get it. It's just, do we really need to be doing this at this point? Like, I I don't I don't think this helps anyone. No. Or hinders anyone. Like, they're, they're not pulling again, the war the carpet from under Mike Sullivan or the Pittsburgh Penguin when like Sorokin shows up in net. It's great for us in terms of page views and traffic, but like outside sure. of that, like there's no benefactors here. No, absolutely not. But surprise start from Sorokin, and he played really well. And I know he got attacked with three goals against, but he, he had a bajillion shots against him, uh, and he made a ton of big saves to keep him in that game. What was his save percentage of the night? Was it not 956? Uh, that might be a little high. I gotta go. Nine, sorry, it was nine twenty nine. Varlamov's in game two was nine fifty six. Yes, I was gonna. I didn't want to say nine twenty nine without looking, but that number was in my head. Yeah, that's still, which is still fantastic. Right, like anything above nine thirty, you're kind of like getting, you know, this is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, the, no, absolutely, he had a really good game. Yes, he let three in, but you're like, all right, well, it's not that big of a deal. Uh, not like any of the three that he let up were bad goals. And even then, like, bad goals happen. It's how you answer for those bad goals. More on that at the end of the show. Um, But, no, I think he played well. And if Varlamov was not ready to play, he certainly deserved to go back in for Game 2. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, that gets us to Game 2 where we're at now. And Varlamov does come back and... He yeah he let in a soft goal but he was very very good after that was excellent actually after that yeah like he kept the Islanders in this game and I can't for the life of me understand anyone who's blaming Simeon Varlamov for what happened yes you can blame him for that one goal and even then like 
it's debatable whether he was fully to blame or if it was, you know, deflected off of Adam Pellick's stick. Regardless, it shouldn't have gone in. But that that goal goes in at three minutes and 22 seconds. If you're telling me that that's it, it's done, we lost because of that, because they scored at three minutes and 22 seconds, then what the hell are we doing here? Why are we playing the game? There's 56 minutes to play, and you're going to put it on the goalie giving up one bad goal? Come on. No, if he gives up two bad goals in a you know three or four one loss and that's a little bit of a different story but it was a two one loss and a game that the islanders were still even in because their offense didn't do anything really yesterday but when they were you know trying to get back in the game how many times was he coming up with big saves to keep it a one goal game or even just a two goal deficit when it was two nothing yeah like i don't i don't get it so like i kind of preface that i wanted to get to this later in the show um, but like, there are comments like I, I wrote today that uh, Varlamov was the right call to make to play in game two, and then there's like, the, is a close fought playoff game, and I don't want to get into the individual because it's not about the individual. It's it's a, a, a remark made often. Um, he gave up one garbage and one weak goal, and that turned out to be the difference in the game. With the glory also comes the blame. Um, I don't get that. It's such pickpockety revisionist history to be like well if he had stopped that one and the rest of the game had played out as we had seen we win and you're like yeah I, I guess but that's just not how things happen right like for every action there's an equal reaction so and it went, maybe not necessarily equal in the case of hockey per se because like, just because the Penguins score doesn't mean that the Islanders are then going to go and score but things happen in relation to what has happened before it so you can't say like, oh, he if he stops that when we win one nothing, we're good to go. No, no, no. Again, you have fifty six minutes to go in the game after that bad goal. The second goal happens uh, again, maybe bad goal on Varlamov, but like he's he being Jeff Carter's alone in the slot. That is a high danger area, and it's a high danger area for a damn reason. Right, and how about like, and this isn't a knock on either one of those two guys. They've been phenomenal, but. Adam Pellick and Ryan Pulak were on the ice for both of those goals. Like that, that one, the first one was because of Ryan Pulak turnover, and the second one, Carter. Who did he beat? It was Ryan Pulak. And I'm not saying Ryan Pulak's the reason they lost. No, there's a million factors why why they lost the game, and you're not going to win very many games by scoring only one goal. Like that's a part of it too. So to pin it on one player is absolutely ridiculous, especially when he put up what? What did you say? A 956 save percentage in the game. Correct. It was like 41 of 43 shots or 43 or 45 or something like that. More than he was expected to stop. Maybe not a whole lot, but I think he was uh, 2.07 expected saves or something like that. So, like, he was better than he he played. (laughs) Come on. I I don't understand. That's a garbage take. I'm sorry. It it is. And I, I understand it's playoffs and we live and die by these wins. But I think we also have to look at the big picture here. The Islanders leave Pittsburgh with a split. And that's important in any series, whether it's a two and three seed, for example. Leaving the away for the first two away games with a split is massive. That is a huge, maybe not advantage to you, but it takes you out of what is supposed to be a disadvantage, right? Like it's supposed to give the higher seed the advantage of having those two home games. You should come out of this ahead. We're giving you that because you deserve that. You've earned that right by playing better throughout the regular season. Well, we just went into their house and took one from them, taking away that that embedded advantage from them. That's massive. Why are we not focusing on that? Great point. I don't know. That should be the focus, right? Wouldn't you think? But instead we're focused on, yeah, it was a bad goal. And maybe it's because it's so obvious because we all saw it in real time. And yes, it was a bad goal. But like, if he doesn't bounce back from that, then we have a problem. But he absolutely, like you pointed out, bounced back from that and had a 956 save percentage throughout the rest of the game. The Islanders are in that game and have a chance to at least tie it because of Simeon Varlamov. How about you don't turn it over at the blue line a million times and like have some semblance of a six-on-four power play for a minute and a, and a half? Or what was it? Yeah, it was a minute 28. It was a minute 28, yeah. Like, there, there's a whole lot of other factors. You're right. Don't give it up at the blue line. Don't let the Penguins dis- dictate the pace and play a run-and-gun game for the first 20 minutes. You're not going to win that game against the Pittsburgh Penguins. That's what they do. Play your game. 
impose yourself on them. And of course, easier th- said than done, right? Like they obviously tried to do that and couldn't. Uh, but that seems to be a more uh, prevalent factor than Simon Varlamov gave up one bad goal. All right, cool. Yeah, oh, oh well, at that point, right? Exactly. So on the other side of the coin, we had the Islanders goalies showing up. The pe- There's a couple of people sticking out to me who really haven't shown up so far in the playoffs, and that's Matt Barzal and Jordan Eberle. They, like, milk carton 101, please. <laughs> Where where are they? Uh, everyone's opened up their Where Waldo book and can't find the guy with the flowy hair and the orange and blue. Um, it just I don't know where he is or where what's going on. He was better in game two where he found opportunities and he found gaps, uh, but it wasn't it wasn't what we wanted to see from Matthew Barzell. We obviously wanted to see more, uh, and it, this isn't a like well he's playing with Leo Komarov. Nah, it's not. It, this isn't a Leo Komarov thing. Uh, obviously, that doesn't help necessarily, uh, but this is on an individual level where Matthew Barzell hasn't been able to raise his game to the standard required at the playoffs of an elite first-line first, uh, first uh, line center. Yeah, it's honestly like just shocking that he, right, right now it's just he, he looks like a different player different player than what we've been used to. Like he, there's been times where he could come out and it's like, Oh, dominant player obviously looks like the best player on the ice. And, and maybe it's unfair when you're going up against a, a team that has Sidney Crosby, but he's been pretty MIA in both of these games. And uh, he's got to figure something out. I understand that it's the, the penguins are going to put out their best defensive options. Um, and, he's going to struggle against that a little bit, but at a, it comes a point in time where you have to elevate your game and he's just not doing that. Although are we being too hard on him? And this is me playing a little bit of devil's advocate. Cause you, you brought up aptly Sidney Crosby who has one point on the series. And that one point wasn't some like solo ridiculous effort where he just took over the game and, and forced himself on the Islanders. He got cross-checked away from the shooting lane and managed to, like, flub a stick in the middle of it and float one there and redirect the puck. That's what he managed to do. Nothing to take away from the skill it required to do that, I guess, or, or the presence of mind to put a stick in the lane. But, like, that's all he's done. Does that warrant, like, oh, Sidney Crosby has having a much better playoff than Matthew Barzal when all he's really done is put a stick and, and knock a puck out of the air? Mm. Uh, I would argue against that and by saying, if by just eye test wise, have you noticed Sidney Crosby more or have you noticed Matt Barzell more? That's fair. Yeah, because you definitely notice Sidney Crosby more than you have Matthew Barzell. Right. Like, I, I don't know. I still feel his presence even when he isn't you know, scoring. He just seems like he's always involved in the play where I can't necessarily say the same thing with Matthew Barzell. Yeah, that's a fair that's a fair clarification to or point to make out, right? Like, yeah, okay, Crosby only has the one point on like that random stick check in the middle of the ice. Uh but you're right, he's doing more outside of that. And Matthew Barzell has done a few things more. Like he's got a couple of back checks that are good. Uh like, like I said, he's he's carved a couple of opportunities for himself. But it, it's nothing where you're going, all right, this kid's cooking on something, right? Like he's working towards something. Uh, at this point, it's he's very much treading water, and we need him to do a little bit more than that. Yeah, exactly. And uh, for his running mate, Jordan Eberle, to me, that's just more so he's, well, he's a very streaky player, and he's just going cold. And when his center is cold, too, that doesn't help. No, well, but it doesn't. But you're, you're talking about top-line players who should be able to deliver on an individual basis. Like, they shouldn't need one another to be able to play effectively. It helps, obviously, if you're going on a 2-on-1 that Matthew Barzell and Jordan Eberle are playing you know, it, it, to, together on, on that and on the same wavelength and, and at the same place mentally. But they should be able to maybe not take over a game, but have a presence in said game without having to rely on the other. Right, like Jordan Eberle should be able to make a play without strictly having Matthew Barzell open up lanes for him. He should be able to carve out his own opportunities. But we're not really seeing that from him or Matthew Barzell for that fact. And that's the big problem. Right. And, like, luckily through game one, not so much in game two, but they were able to get 
scoring from other places. But in order to go far in the playoffs, you need your best players to be your best players. So eventually they, they got to turn it around. Yeah, well, so like Jordan Everly has five shots on net over these two games, which is, is good, but it's just not resulting in anything. The fact that he has 15.53 worth of ice time in game two is a little strange. Obviously, like time on ice in game one is skewed because you have an extra, what, 16 and a half minutes of overtime. Uh, but but still, it's just there, there's nothing else there. Um, he's, he's got two hits. There's no blocks. It's just not really a whole lot going on for Jordan Everly, but getting a couple of pucks on net. And I don't think either of those were um, anything dangerous. Yeah, no, not that. I mean, it wasn't. There's none that's jumping out to me now. And so that that's the thing. They're having a hard time feeding off of each, uh, not feeding off each other, sorry, of playing their individual game and standing out as individuals, and that's not allowing them to dictate or, or make an impact on a collective basis as a line. Uh, and then you got Leo Komarov out there who, again, isn't really helping things. And I understand he's not going to be moved from that line, and I'm not going to call for it either because uh, it's just not going to happen. But he's he's doing something. Leo's doing something. He's he's got a couple of good showings here and there, but he's out of his depth or out of his element at this point. It's it's quite obvious, but it, although it has been for a while, I guess. Yeah, he definitely seems like he's been out of out of his element. But with with Leo, at least he's he's throwing the body around like mad. <laughs> what twenty hits over the last two games? Yeah, that that's an insane rate, and uh, he's been. He's been effective in that role. I just wish he was doing it not with Matt Barzal and Jordan Eberle on the other side of him. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I think the point that I was clumsily getting towards and I kind of alluded my, 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 in my head was that when you have a line of three players, eventually some one of those three players is going to be able to pull the other two along, even just for a shift, even for a play, and kind of pull them back into the game where Leo hasn't been able to do that. And maybe that's not fair to him that's not he's not skilled enough to do that that's not what he does uh in, in terms of skill like yeah he can slap you on the bench and he can give you a good joke in, in the in, in the locker room uh but when it comes to the on the ice thing he's not going to necessarily get you into it uh without having to do shenanigans which you know is a little bit overrated for the role he's playing but when you have someone like let's say Anders Lee that changes things because you, you've got that extra dynamic where Matthew Barzell and or Jordan, Jordan Eberle can feed off of. And the Islanders haven't been able to give that top line that third element. So when Matthew Barzell and Jordan Eberle individually aren't doing anything, that line is just, well, obviously non-existent because they don't have a third factor. They're kind of like, okay, well, I will now pick up the slack while you guys are having a hard time. And then we can bring back to, you know, some semblance of equilibrium. Uh, but like if they're they're not able to do that with Leo Komarov there, and that that's a problem. Hopefully, lines two and three can kind of like take enough pressure away where line one can finally find some space to breathe. But we're not seeing that yet. No, not yet. But I will say I, I do like the play from the Islanders' bottom six a lot. I will give them that. I think the third line's been excellent. Um, and the fourth line is playing their role to a T right now. So I think that if you want to pull a positive out of it for the forward group, that's what I'm coming away with. Absolutely. The positives, third line for sure. They're the better line for, for the team. Um, you know, second line hasn't been awful. Right? They got that one goal in the other game, but it's just, it's just not consistent enough, right? They, they show up for a shift here and there, and then the rest of the game is MIA. Uh, but yeah, fourth line is, is trying to, to, to generate some identity, and it's kind of working. Uh, the Islanders need to feed off of that more. Going to Nassau and playing in the Coliseum in front of what I believe is 6,200 fans yeah, uh, is going to be massive for them. You felt it in Pittsburgh. I really think that the crowd has something to do with it uh, for uh, for game two. I really do. Right, and I think what we saw from Pittsburgh in game one and two when they came out of the gate flying, I think you will see that in game three for the yeah. Islanders coming back home. Absolutely. Keep in mind, they haven't played in front of a crowd in, what, a year? Since last March? Who? The the Penguins? The Penguins, the Islanders. I know that there, there's been oh, some fans oh, at the oh, Nassau oh. Coliseum, but it's not like 1,400 fans compared to 6,200 is okay. quite different. Yeah, I, I see. I see what you're saying. Yeah, the, this is the first time then in a, in over a year. You're right. 
and that that makes a big difference i know like they always say oh we tune out what happens outside of there but when you hear like the crowd and it's that loud man it, it does something and like the uh, the penguins definitely fed off of it to open game two and, and they kept going with it and it took a while for the islanders to get and impose themselves on the game and I, I think you're right. Like coming into game three and four, it's going to have the reverse effect for the Islanders. Right. And you would hope that with the Islanders play in net, that they're able to capitalize on that and, and not give them bad goals and not let the Penguins get back in the game. Yeah, I, I'm not that worried about bad goals. Like bad goals happen. It's how you react after they've gone in. And, and Simeon Varlamov proved that like, yeah, even if I let a bad goal in, it's not going to face me. I'm not going to let another two or three go in after that. No. It didn't derail him. It's not like he let in that and the wheels fell off and that, you know, next thing you know, you got five goals behind you. Exactly. He was able to settle immediately. Yeah, that, that second one went in like 10 minutes later, but let's be honest, that that's not where you want to see anyone take a shot from. Barry Trotz is going to rip out any hair he sees because he's seeing a, a, a shot from the inner slot. Exactly. Anything else from games one and game two that you want to get into? Um, well, Oliver Wallstrom, man, like, yeah, mm. he is getting a bit too feisty. I like it. Yeah. I like the the feist, right? Um, but it's just he's riding a line, and it's unfortunate because he's a rookie. He doesn't get the benefit of the doubt, and so he's getting calls that would normally go another way against him. Yeah, he's got to calm it down a little bit. I'm with you on that. I, I think it's just the, – well, the three penalties, not all of them – probably fair and I, I that's a di- completely different conversation but still I'm with you I think he's a little too amped up and has to calm down a little bit but I will say pleasantly surprised that Barry Trotz didn't just like not play him at all in the third period yeah so we'll see going into game three if maybe that stays the same but you would imagine based off of his shifts uh that because he didn't miss one like he said he's not going to be taken out of the lineup for game three it would be stupid if he is. He's such a vital part of their power play, even though it doesn't necessarily work right now, um, to take him out. Because anyone you're putting in isn't going to have the same impact on the power play, even if it's Kiefer Bellows. No, like who are you putting in in that spot? Travis Ajak? It's not the same thing. It's not, right? Like he, he doesn't really play power play. Um, so yeah, it's either Zajac, Bellows, and, and Michael Dalcole, and, and then Ross Johnson at the, the far end of it. There's no way you're putting Ross Johnson in. Why the hell would you do that? I don't know. The question. games haven't been that chippy to warrant getting Ross Johnson in there. No, yeah, absolutely not. No way. So we'll see. We'll see what happens for game three in terms of the lineup. I expect it to be the exact same lineup from the forwards to defense to goaltending. I am in 100% agreement. Do you think they keep the lines the same? Yeah, 100%. I think Barry saw enough from that game to say, like, we played a decent game. We just need to focus a little bit more, play a full 60. And, and we'll be okay. Well, obviously, I wanted to go up 2-0. I'm not like, I don't know. It wasn't catastrophic loss for me in game two. No, and I can't, again, we said it before. Like, I can't pick, imagine anyone being like, oh, my God, the world is falling. People, it, it, it was in a way, like, they were away for two games. One, they're a terrible away team, like one of the worst in the NHL, um, certainly the worst in the playoffs, and they come away with a 1-1 a split. That's what you want. Any team, even if, like I said, two and a three seed, you want to come away with a 1-1 split at best. Yeah, absolutely. That would put you in great shape. And if I should say at least, not at, at best. Least. At best, you will you take both games. Of, of course. <laughs> what a dumb thing. <laughs> I, I knew what you meant. I just didn't want to harp on it. <laughs> Fair uh, enough. But if they take care of business at home, then you're sitting pretty. Exactly, right? Like, you come away with... You took away their advantage, and now you're in the driver's seat in terms of the advantage, and that's all you want. It's all about marginal advantage in the playoffs. Absolutely. So uh, I think we're good so far on the playoff coverage. How about down on the farm this week, Mitch? Let's go. Um, I spoke to Russell Ishkakov directly this time. There you go. Uh, the last time I had to send questions to the media person at TPS, and they spoke to him. They just read off my questions. And he answered, and I, I got I got the audio for that and, and did my thing from there. This time, I actually got to speak with him, which is great because he's from Moscow. I've been to Moscow. I love it there. Uh, so I got to, like, talk about Moscow things and kind of relive my trip, and it was it was great. Um, but we talked about a number of things that I, I didn't put in the piece on, on the site, uh, and I want to get to a few of those here. 
Sure. Uh, first one is we talked about training. One of his teammates and line mates, Josh Kessner, was on a, another podcast and said, like, guys, the training that they have over there, it's absolutely wild. You're running two miles before practice. You're running two miles after practice. Maybe not running, but, like, you're doing two miles probably on a bike or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, before a game, it's all type. It's all types of work. It's work, work, work. Uh, and I asked Ruslan about that. He's going, yeah, that that's kind of what they do. But we focused a lot on legs. He said they did maybe four workouts on upper body all year. Wow. Okay, that's surprising. Right, like they worked on their their legs nonstop. And he said, honestly, man, it worked. Because come to playoffs, we were fresh. Yeah, I guess you that would make sense, right, with all that work you put in. You're just not getting tired, right? So, like, it, it works, man. Um, and then I, I wanted to talk to him about playing the net front. Uh, anyone who's seen, like, some clips that I've put uh, of Russell Nishkakov up or over the years, some of the goals that he's scoring on the power play, he's right up along the net in the Anders Lee position. And he's not and, a big guy. Well, exactly, right? If you know anything about him, he's not Zidane Ochara out there. He's not blocking the goalie's view. He's, I think, 5'9", 165. Not a big dude. And so I asked him about that, going, like, is this something new to you? And how did you adapt? Like, what did you do in that situation? And he's like, that's not necessarily new. That has happened to me before, like, playing for the uh, the national team uh, as well. But we only use this as a set play. And he kind of told me what the play was. Uh, but but the whole point of having him on the, in that position was just to execute that one play and that one play alone. And, and it worked a lot. And he said, once, once teams figured it out, though, I went elsewhere because it just wasn't working at all. Yeah, I could I could see that as a as a thing. I don't think that's a long term solution for him. No. And, and the last thing is the contract. Um, so as you know, he has a he had a one year deal with TPS that is now over. Is he coming? I still have no idea. He wasn't able to answer that directly. Uh, so like I kind of brought it up and I brought it up to his agent as well. And like from everything that I understand, there are negotiations going on. And by what I mean by understand, that's me reading between the T's, between the lines. It's not anything they said to me in any sort of words. Um, it's just me reading between lines and what how they interacted with me and so on and so forth. I believe that a contract is coming. They're in no rush. He doesn't have – the Islanders hold his rights until August of 2022. They're in no rush to have it done. It just it makes no sense for him not to be in North America this year. It, it by this year I mean twenty one, twenty two. Yeah, agree. I think he should absolutely be playing in Bridgeport next year. Yeah, it, it makes absolutely no sense to be like, yeah, just go ahead and play in Finland again. Because remember, he was in uh, in the NCAA for two years, right? So he played his mm-hmm. his uh, uh oh my god, I'm going to get this all screwed up. What's freshman the first and sophomore? Freshman. He played his freshman year and sophomore year with UConn. He was supposed to go back for junior year. That would have been this year. And typically after a junior year, that's when the player comes on board uh, unless they want to play out the fourth and then you're really running the clock. But this kid wants to be in the NHL as soon as possible, which is why he went to the, to the Liga uh, for a number of reasons. But what, the one specific was getting to the NHL as soon as possible. So it really surprised me that he's not here in 21-22. Like it, it would be shocking and almost dumbfounding for the Islanders not to sign this kid. I'm with you on that. I agree. I think he's here for sure. Yeah. So that was the last about about him, but not the last in terms of signings because the Islanders did make a signing and that's Reese Newkirk, who they signed to a three-year entry-level contract uh, just this past week. I forget if it was what day exactly it was. doesn't necessarily matter, but he is signed. He is locked in for three years, which is a good thing for the, the Bridgeport Islanders. Yes. Not the Sound Tigers. No, I I flubbed that a number of times. And explaining <laughs> that like the difference to my wife, because I was I was talking about a wrestling. I was like, well, he plays for the Islanders and and whatnot, or he'll probably play for the Islanders. And he's like, well, she had no idea which one I was talking about. And I was like, well, they're the Islanders, but the other one are the Islanders. It's the same Islanders, but not. And she's like, I don't care. Just just I don't care. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, that's a tough one. Either way. Newkirk will be there next year. I, I don't expect him to just, like, steamroll the AHL. Uh, he wasn't steamrolling the WHL. He's a good player, uh, a good, like, Casey Zizekas-type player. That's what I see out of him. 
two-way center, plays on the PK, can play the power play, five-on-five, five, obviously, just really good in, in all three zones. That's what you're going to get out of Reese Newkirk. All right, there you go. Uh, and then there's the last one, the Islanders, Bridgeport this time, signed uh, Connor McCarthy, who is a massive, huge defenseman. How big are we talking? 6'7", 238 pounds. Oh, that boy's big. He is. He looks. He makes everyone look like Martin Saint Louis. <laughs> wow. So that he's going to play on their blue line. We'd have to imagine. Yeah, he's a right-handed defenseman. Good on the power play. Had nine goals last year. So not not this just this season, but the season before that. Nine goals from the blue line. Plays on the point on the power play. I've seen him play like in the OV office area as well. He's all over the place. It's hard to miss him. Okay. So, but like he's got yeah. a really really good shot. I'd imagine so. A lot of power behind that frame. And and accuracy, right? It's not just Ryan Pollock firing them all over the place. It, it's really right on the net. Okay, I like that. I like that a lot. So, good signing for the Islanders. Bridgeport, that is. Uh, we'll see how that, that, that uh, oh, defensive line pans out. But that's another right-handed defenseman. So, we'll see where he slots in on the depth chart. Yeah, there's a lot of people in front of him. So, that'll be interesting. Yeah. Quiz time? Let's go. So as you know, every week we do a quiz, and it's episode 196, Matt, so I picked someone who has something to do with the number 196. It's a mystery islander. You have five clues to guess who it is. Are you ready? Let's do it. Let's go. Clue number one. I was a third-round pick that made the NHL a full season after being selected. So he was drafted one year, played a full season somewhere else, and then was in the NHL. Okay. Number Next. two, a scout had to convince the Islanders to draft me. Adam Pellick. Incorrect. Three, I've played for four teams, including the Senators. Do you want me to give you the next one? Did you not hear my Adam Pellick guess? I heard it for the first one, but not the sec- not the third time, no. Oh, no, then uh, you froze. I didn't hear this, the third question. Uh, sorry, I've played for four teams, including the Senators. Four teams, including the Senators? Yes. Okay, next. All right, four... I was a piece in the worst trade ever. Oh, um. You got this. You got it. Roberto Luongo? Oh, incorrect. Incorrect. Oh, he's not a third round pick. Oh, my God. That was dumb. That was a dumb (laughs) guess. Five. I've played 1,608 NHL games. 1,608 NHL games. Oh, 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 no, I was thinking, oh, oh my God, I said Jokinen, but I meant Spezza, but it was still wrong. Sorry, but you're you're right. That was also a, a terrible trade. Like, Jokinen and, oh, uh, God, why am I not? And, uh, yeah, God, Luongo for Mark Parrish and Ole Kavasha, right? Yes, my brain stayed in the same trade for whatever <laughs> reason. I couldn't compute that it was the other one. So there was a very was subjective so clue, right? To me, that was the worst trade. But you're right, the Kavasha and Parrish one, also not a good trade. There you go. <laughs> wow, that was really... None of us on the same page here, but good. Plus okay. internet issues? Good job, Canada. This is my internet that's all screwed up today. There we go. Um, so with that, shall we, shall we get into some social stuff? Let's go. I don't have the, the penguins thing this time. Oh, uh, okay. Yes, no no, no penguins jokes this time. Uh, what, what do we have? We have... So I, I took a few... Uh, tweets from that that bad goal that we talked about earlier and we have one here from Isles Rumor saying bench Varlamov now which like 
And it's not fair that I am bringing up the person, so please don't go and, like, light them up for that take. Like, we are playing a little bit of revisionist history, but, like, they're not the only one, obviously, who thought that. It was three minutes and 22 seconds into the game, people. We have to... I know we live and die by what the Islanders do, but we've got to be a little bit more calm. Uh, But it doesn't get any better because then we've got another tweet, and I won't name the person this time because I don't want anyone to go after this person. Fire Pollock into the sun. Oh boy! Like it uh, was a bad play breathe. at the blue line. Yes, but we're talking about a vet, not Vezina, Norris level effort from Ryan Pollock this year, and he made one bad play. Let's chill a little bit here. Islanders have played fifty-eight games this year. He had one bad game. <laughs> one bad play from those two players simultaneously at once, and we still and we still almost tied the game. We we only kept him to those two goals. They didn't score the rest of the game. Of course, we only got the one, but like, there's a lot more positive than negative out of this game. Yeah, without a doubt. So that that's what I wanted to bring up. Those are two that I wanted to bring up. What do you got? Okay. I have from Mark Parrish. Dear New York Islanders, please stop turning the puck over at the blue lines. Sincerely, every single Isles fan. Hashtag yes, yes, yes. Which that was a major mood during game two. Yeah, as we as we saw there, right? Like, and he's not wrong, right? Like, they so many. There was so bad in terms of just puck management in game two. It was infuriating, and that was the really the one big takeaway. The one big negative was that they were just second. They were second best for like ha- the first half of the game, and then they finally figured themselves out in the second half. Yeah, and it's just not not enough time at that point. No. It should be, right? Like 40 minutes should, or sorry, 30 minutes should be. But for the Islanders, that that's a one goal. 30 minutes is one goal, really. Yeah, absolutely. My last one here is from at old hockey dude saying, oh, hell, I have to watch the Forslund McGuire show tonight. Ugh. <laughs> and I, yeah. I feel the same way. Not about Forslund necessarily, more so McGuire. I, I don't necessarily mind his like musings about prospect oh he's from uh lake shawinigan quebec and uh great parents like that that's i i actually really enjoy that stuff but my god they could not get it was it was a penguins telecast it really was it seemed that way yes i mistakenly didn't realize that the game was also on msg so for the first period and a half i was watching on nbc and i felt like a fool yeah and i know forsland is is the play-by-play so it's hard to be pro any team when you're the play-by-play guy because you're, you're just describing yeah. what's happening but it's when all the flavor and the color afterwards is so pro penguins uh it's just it's just insane like the whole the penguins are out islanders saying the islanders today that drove me up mm. a wall because you're like no yeah. they're not they're, this is not even remotely close to islander hockey what the penguins are doing this is penguins hockey it's run and gun they're running and gunning and the islanders can't keep up that's what the Penguins do. Come on, Pierre. You should know this by now. 1,000%. 1,000%. My last one's from Jamie Stewart of News 12. Says, what's your greatest what if in New York sports history? Put a pin in that because we're going to change that in a second. He says, off the top of my head, what if Vinny, talking about Testaverde, didn't tear his Achilles? What if uh, Oljuwon didn't get a piece of Starks' three-point attempt? with talking about the Knicks and the Jets. So I'm changing it and making it a biggest Islanders. What if, and what is yours, Mitch? Oh, you got me on the spot here. What if Brock Nelson scores on that breakaway against the lightning? I think that's the first one that comes to mind. That's a good one. I see this one in the comments a lot. I'm going to say it's taboo to bring this up now at this point. What if John Tavares stayed? <laughs> yeah what if man why that because your your death this, down the would, middle is Tavares Barcel Brock Nelson Sezikis yes but potentially like what happens who stay in terms of one would it be as successful as they are now would they be more successful than they are now would they have re-signed Brock Nelson would they have re-signed Anders Lee like there's so many things that go into that so. It, it, it kind of exactly what I said earlier, right? When it came to the Varlamov thing, you can't just like cherry pick random things and be like everything else afterwards stays the same. Because you're right, you signed John Tavares to the 
10 to what is it yeah 10 million dollars or 12 million dollar salary cap that he's on which is absolutely ridiculous um that changes the the math for everything else and, and they would have done that right like they, they were willing to mm-hmm. give that money to Panarin you got to believe they were willing to give that money to Tavares uh so like that that does change everything in terms of like Brock Nelson you're right Anders Lee all, all of that and then is that the element that they need to to be better than they, what they were right like could they get to a Stanley Cup final because they have John Tavares on the team maybe but who knows right like because all these other elements like you said might not be here Right, so that that to me is the biggest what if. Maybe it's recency bias, but that's what sticks out to me. No, that's a really big what if because we're in the most successful period of Islanders hockey since the '80s, um, and if that could change either for better or worse with the single decision of of John Tavares wanting to go to Toronto or not. Yeah, so that that's what stuck out. I one I love questions like that to begin with, and big New York sports guy, but just for Islanders in general, that one to me is the easy answer yeah no you're right i i regret saying my dumb answer because that one is so much better so let's get some plugs in here before we go mitch because we have finished episode number 196 uh so wherever you're listening to the show please make sure to subscribe give a rating and review that really helps us out a lot we appreciate all the love and support you could also subscribe to the patreon patreon.com slash eyes on aisles five bucks a month gets you bonus content over there like post game shows mailbag shows video all kinds of different stuff going on over there right mitch yeah we're gonna do the mailbag right after this there are 15 questions to get to uh there's a lot to talk about like who do you prefer in in the caps Bruins series so a lot a lot of stuff to get to in the mailbag can't wait absolutely um and social media eyes on aisles fs on twitter my twitter is matt o'leary ny mitch is over at tlo mitch facebook facebook.com slash eyes on aisles and you could also download the fan-sided app to get us through that or visit the website eyesonisles.com for all your New York Islanders needs. Mitch, episode 196 in the books, just creeping closer to 200, man. I can't believe it'll be 204 weeks from now. Wild. Hopefully the Islanders are still in the playoffs. I hope so. That'd be a blast. So that's going to do it for us on this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm Matt O'Leary. He is Mitch Anderson, and we'll talk to you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.